We have people leaving the state, a lot of issues recently in the state. In the meantime, we have a huge budget surplus. Can you tell us what's happening? Where is the state headed? Well, it's headed to oblivion and people are leaving to go to places that are what once was known as hell, hot Texas or desert Nevada, that have become paradise in their mind. And we took paradise and turned it into hell. But a lot of the areas of the state, things look very normal. And average Californians, if you talk to them, yeah, they may feel the cost of living. Do you think there's gonna be a point where people will see what you're saying? So let's take a normal community that's not hard left progressive. Say Fresno County, if you go to an August, average August afternoon, it's about 108, and you will see people go into the local Walmart. And they're not going there to purchase things. They're going there to find free air conditioning because they can't afford, even at subsidized rates for being poor, they can't afford to turn on their air conditioning because the rates are so high. The rates are so high deliberately so people will not use air conditioning. And so the people who set policy, whether it's on electric prices or fuel prices or the school system, they're never subject to the consequences of their own ideology. My guest today is Victor Davis Hansen, historian and senior fellow at the Hoover Institution California has almost half of the nation's homeless population, some of the highest taxes in the country, and is ranked among the lowest in education. What does the future look like for California? Are we able to turn our state back into prosperity again? Stay tuned to hear an insider's perspective. I'm Siamai Korami. Welcome to California Insider. Thank you for having me. We want to talk to you about the future of California. We have people leaving the state, and we have had a lot of issues recently in the state. In the meantime, we have a huge budget surplus, according to the governor. And, uh, can you tell us what's happening? Where is the state headed? Well, it's headed to oblivion, and people are leaving to go to places that are what once was known as hell, hot Texas or desert Nevada, that have become paradise in their mind. And we took paradise and turned it into hell. So they're leaving. It was very hard to destroy California given it's got huge amounts of timber, minerals, oil, natural gas. It has, I think, four of the top universities rated of the top 25 in the world, Caltech, Stanford, USC, UCLA, UC Berkeley, four or five. So it was very hard to destroy that inheritance, but we did. And how do you quantify that? You can use almost any measurement you want. If you use fuel, we have the highest gasoline prices in the United States, partly because we don't develop our own oil or natural gas, partly because we have blended fuels that give marginal cleaner air, but are very expensive, partly because we have the highest gasoline taxes in the world, in this, excuse me, in the United States, partly because our regulations are such refiners don't want to improve and expand. If you look at homeless people, we have almost half of the nation's homeless people. We have one-third of the nation's uh, welfare recipients. 27% of the, of the state residents were not born in the United States, so that posed an enormous challenge of integration, assimilation, we didn't do that very well. Uh, our school test scores are around 45, um, rated out of 50. We used to be in the top 10. Uh, 
if you look at taxes, we have the highest income tax. I think the governor is now going to sign into a bill 14.3 on top incomes, highest gasoline tax, and our sales tax, given the local and county add-ons, is among the highest. And so people then ask, and we have the, what do we get in return? And, and when you look at the schools or crime, Cal uh, San Francisco has the highest per capita uh, property crime rate in the United States. Uh, Los Angeles is now one of the most violent cities statistically. If you look at housing uh, per square foot, these homes that you see out the window run between $1,000 and $1,500 per square foot, about eight or nine times the national average. If you look at the price of electricity, it's 27 to 35 cents a kilowatt hour. It's unaffordable and it's non-reliable and it's dangerous. The, the grid is ossified, so if you live in the foothills or dry areas with October and November winds, the power lines snap and then you get these raging forest fires in the Sierra Nevada or up in the northern part of the state or even in the Los Angeles Hills, or especially in the Los Angeles Hills. So it's, it's sad because when you combine the Sierra Nevada, the Central Valley, the beautiful 600-mile coast. It's one of the most beautiful, fertile, natural places in the world. And under bipartisan leadership with Pat Brown and Ronald Reagan, George Dukmasian, Pete Wilson, even Arnold Schwarzenegger, there was a consensus that if you're going to grow, you have to have infrastructure. So you built dams and aqueducts. And at one time, I know this sounds crazy, but the 99 freeway was not the most lethal per mile driven freeway in the, in the United States. It was one of the most modern. So was uh, 101. So was LAX. So was SO. But they've just, they just calcified. They, they were not developed uh, commiserate with population increase. So the, the operation, operating theory in California is uh, if you don't do anything, they won't come. So if you stagnate the infrastructure where it was in 1970 for 16 million, 17 million people, maybe 21 million, then it won't work for anybody else. And if it won't work for anybody else, they won't come. But they did come. They came from very poor areas of the world they, because what the leadership didn't realize is that a stagnant California that was aging and its services, its infrastructure was eroding, look, still looked like paradise to people in Central America or in Vietnam or in Africa. And so they flocked here and they needed enormous help. State services, I think Medi-Cal has gone from 7% of the budget up to 30 or 40%. And so it's just, meanwhile, there was a war on the upper middle class, the entrepreneurial class or the middle class. And they decided that you look at what you pay, look at what you get in terms of protection, security, schooling, infrastructure, freeways, price of gas, price of electricity, and it's not worth the bargain to be in paradise. So they leave. So when we walk outside, if you avoid the San Francisco or some parts of LA, where in LA there's a lot of tents, but in a lot of the areas of the state, things look very normal. Do you think an average Californians, if you talk to them, yeah, they may feel the cost of living, but do you think there's going to be a point where people will 
see what you're saying? Or are they seeing that already? Yeah, they're seeing it already. So let's take a normal community that's not hard left progressive, say Fresno County or Kings County or Tulare County, where I live. If you go to an August, average August afternoon, it's about 108, and you will see people going to the local Walmart, and they're not going there to purchase things. They're going there to find free air conditioning because they can't afford, even at subsidized rates for being poor, they can't afford to turn on their air conditioning because the rates are so high. The rates are so high, deliberately so, so that people will not use air conditioning. And they're set by people who live here. Notice in this office, I don't have any air conditioning. Which we're in Stanford right now. Yes, okay. we're at Stanford. And so the people who set policy, whether it's on electric prices or fuel prices or the school system, they're never subject to the consequences of their own ideology. None of those people over there at Google or Apple or the state legislature, uh, Nexus, or this very wealthy corridor from here to Berkeley and back. None of their kids of the elite go to private, to public schools, and yet they're the most adamant against charter schools and the most supportive of teacher unions. So do you think these elite that you mentioned that live in these areas, do you think they control the state policies? Yes, absolutely, because of the money. What happened in the 21st century, there were particular people in the bi-coastal area, the east and west coast, the one looking at the EU, the other looking at Asia, who had marketable global skills. So they woke up on some magical date and they discovered that their markets were not 300 million people, but 7 billion. Now the lo what they called the losers, the deplorables or the irredeemables or the chumps, they were the people that had muscular jobs. And if they were in assembly or manufacturing, they were outsourced or offshore. They were called the losers. But this area, whether it's Facebook, Apple, Google, Twitter, uh, or Stanford University, they expanded exponentially all over the world. And $7 trillion of market capitalization comes into this area. It's the greatest concentration of wealth in the history of civilization. And that created among the people who participate in those, and they're monopolies. Google, I think, controls 90% of all searches. Twitter uh, and Apple have the same type of uh, asymmetrical monopolies in their particular fields. The, the people who control that then control the politics because they fund it. So if Gavin Newsom is going to be recalled, they pour money in. If in 2020, it looks like uh, there's a chance that Joe Biden might lose. According to Molly Ball of Time Magazine, Mark Zuckerberg infused $419 million in pre-selected precincts to absorb the work of the registrars. And so that's how they use their money, because the pr operating principle is that the skills, the insight that made us anointed financially and globally have given us um, a birthright, so to speak, to dictate to everybody what they should be doing with the understanding that sometimes it might not work out that, like we thought, but we're protected by our money and our influence, and they run the state. They're very similar to the old Confederate system in the South where the plantation class picked and chose their candidates. They were racially obsessed. In this case, you know, it's diversity and this person and that person. 
and uh, they were nullifiers of federal law. Remember, that's how the, one of the reasons the Civil War started. These neo-Confederate elites have said, the laws don't apply to us. And they all tell you that the laws don't apply to them. If you have federal immigration law, San Mateo County will just say it doesn't apply in San Mateo County. We're a sanctuary county, unless you bring illegal immigrants and dump them here. That's a different question. So, uh, yeah, they, the money explains their, why we have a one-party state. That's not exaggeration. There's not one state Republican officeholder. Uh, they control, they being the, and it's not the Democratic Party, it's the hard left. They control both the state Senate and the state assembly. And I think they control all but 11 congressional seats out of 53. So it's a one-party Confederate system. Now, this group of elites that you mentioned that are here with, with a lot of funds, do you think that they, they probably are not going to benefit from where the state is headed? Because some of these companies are moving out to go to Texas and other states. What are your thoughts? What do you think is going on in their minds? Because if there is a power outage here in Stanford. In For now, up until the last two years, their operative narrative was we're going to change the state and we're going to let all the water that was committed to agriculture go out to the sea for fish restoration and that's not going to affect us because we can always buy imported. We're going to shut down the timber industry because we feel it's more natural to have wildfires to clean out the forest and when a dead tree falls down we don't want a logging company going in there and cutting it down that's not natural. And so that doesn't affect us. And we don't want to tap our enormous reserves of oil or natural gas, because we have enough money to pay 30 cents a kilowatt hour, and we don't drive all that much if we do our jet, private jet system minor expense. However, the last two years, when we have one of these rare moments in American history where the hard progressive left actually controls the entire government, and by that I mean the U.S. Senate, the U.S. House of Representatives, and the President, and there's no impediment to that. And then they look at the consequences, and they think, my gosh, we've destroyed immigration law, and there's a lot of people around here that come, came up, they don't know how to drive, they, they get in wrecks, and they just leave the scene of the accident. Or, my God, all of the people that are coming out here are not like Herlinda, my maid, or Juan, my gardener. They, they, they bring problems with them, and there's so many of them. Or they'll say, or, and I've talked to them, so I'm not just exaggerating. Or they feel that crime now, with all of uh, the George Soros sort of caricatured district attorneys, we had Boudin, Gascon, that means that they're following people home to Beverly Hills and robbing them, killing them in one They're going into Malibu, they're coming out here into Atherton. How dare they do that? So they're starting to see just a little bit that when you destroy civilization, even with all of your enclaves and wealth and private security, you can't protect yourself. And they've pushed diversity, 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 and all hiring and applications. And now, not among the very multi-billionaire elite, but the upper, upper, upper elite, the multi-million, their children are not getting into Stanford or Berkeley, and they'll think, I, 
but I'm for diversity. I'm, but when you go into repertory admissions, so you take a particular ethnic group and you don't match their numbers in the population, but you say, given the systemic racism of the country, we're going to let in, instead of 12% of this group, 16%. Instead of 10% of this group, 12 That has to come from somewhere. So it comes from white males, and not all the white males can give $10 million donations or athletes. So it's starting, that's another example of their ideology coming back to bite them, despite their enormous leverage, prestige, influence, and wealth. So do you think this way of thinking their ideologies, these people that have kind of imposed their ideologies on the state and everybody else, does it come from arrogance or being and being in a bubble? Is that? I think it does. I think they put an enormous uh, investment in types of wealth. If you look at the Fortune 400 now versus, say, 40 years ago, there's nobody on there in manufacturing or assembly or agriculture or oil or gas like there used to be. A few. It's all tech, insurance, law, uh, things like that, media. So that, that type of money is considered clean, but not standard oil executives or something like that. So it's an arrogance because of their money, and they think, because I've made so much money, and the money, that, how I made it was so neat and cool, Netflix, things like that, then I have a, a right to tell people how to live. The only thing that's going to stop them is new emerging. They wanted to, they drove out, and I'll be frank, they drove out pretty much the old white middle class that had come here during the Oklahoma diaspora, the, the Steinbeck sort of Okies, that two or three million person migration, plus the old European immigrants that came in the 19th century, early 20th century, and, and then, you know, Armenians, um, Japanese, China, a lot of these people have left, third and fourth generation of all different races and backgrounds. And they have been replaced by uh, Mexican-American immigrants, many of them from southern Mexico, as we saw from the racist LA council members who were so angry at what, what they call Oaxacan people. And so that group, they felt, would be a dependent constituency and mindlessly vote for their agenda. But two things have happened. One, that agenda has social mores in it that are not compatible with traditional culture. Transgendered surgeries at 12 without parental consent, uh, abortion to the last day of birth, uh, a war on the Catholic Church, things like that. And that bothers, say, the, the Hispanic population, which is about 45, to, depending on how you define it, 45 percent. And crime. They are insulated more up against crime than the people, say, in Fresno or Bakersfield or Merced. They don't have the resources, the private patrols, the security, when you bring in that many people. And then uh, if people are a new generation of electric contractors, plumbers, roofers, and that is pretty much the new emerging Latino middle class, and they look at wire that's suddenly not $33 a spool, but Romex electrical wire is 180 Or they look at a sheet of plywood that was $8 at 70 Or they look at plastic pipe to do a plumbing job for somebody, and instead of $50, it's 200 And then that person says, I can't, what, what's going on? And they'll say, I don't know what's going on. 
I just fill up my diesel truck. I paid $7 a gallon. I don't know what's going on. Who's doing this? So there's, I think you're going to see that constituency in a historical shift that could approach 45 to 50% of the Hispanic vote will not vote Democratic or will stay home. And that's going to be, and it's just starting that, that revolutionary cycle. I think it could be very important for the future of California. So do you think Californians will make a change? It seems like the elite class, what you're saying is the elite class might not be happy with what they've done. And some of them are leaving themselves. Do you think the rest of Californians will make a shift in the near future? Yeah, I, I think they will. I don't think it will be, it won't, it'll be more pragmatic. They'll feel that what's going on is not sustainable. They'll say to themselves, my son is 25, he cannot afford a house. My daughter can't pay her electric bill. We can't take a Sunday drive anymore because of the price of fuel. We cannot turn our air conditioner on in July in Bakersfield. We can't have advanced placement in our local school because we have all these people coming in from countries that need bilingual education. And so all of these things are conspiring to, to convince a democratic constituency that the old allure to be democratic uh, which was, come across the border, we don't care how you do it, we will give you amnesty or de facto amnesty, vote with absolute fealty for our candidates, we will be very generous with Medicare, Medi-Cal, uh, EBT, uh, electric bank transfer cards, uh, social welfare programs, affirmative action, all of those democratic lures to the underclass are not, is not as convincing when the underclass in typical American fashion is just showing the same upward mobility in the way that Italian-American, they're very similar to the Italian-American immigrant to the point where, as I've said before, a Giuliani or a Cuomo, you don't know their political affiliation. Well, it's going to be in pretty soon if your name is Lopez or Martinez, you're not going to know what, by their, just their surname, who they're going to vote for. And that will spell the death knell of the democratic monopoly, and that's what they're worried about. Now, do you think that will happen uh, before we see major, uh, there might be major, more issues that we may have in the state. Do you think things are going to get a lot worse? Yeah, I think they have to get a lot worse. They'll have to get a lot worse before that, because we're still talking, say, in the Latino or Hispanic group, 45% of the population, if it splits 50-50, it's still that conservative or independent Hispanic voter who, and I'm kind of hesitant to say Hispanic because we're in a, a massive intermarriage integration assimilation where people don't know what they are. All of our families are that way. But nonetheless, what's happening with the Hispanic group is also happening with other groups. I'm in an agriculture, agricultural community that's had a huge number of Punjabi Sikh immigrants come. They traditionally were democratic, and now I'd say they're 50-50, if not becoming more and more conservative as they try to run businesses, trucking businesses, stores, farms, in a highly regulated and controlled and taxed economy. They just don't feel that it's conducive for, they feel they have a target on their back by the government, and they can't quite figure that out yet. Well, we, we vote for you people. We vote for the Democratic Party. We vote for Gavin Newsom, and look, this is how he treats us. And I think they're starting to understand 
all of these immigrant communities are starting to understand that the Democratic Party is a party of the very, very, very rich and the very poor, and they don't belong to either group anymore. And if they want to aspire to be very rich, it's very hard. It's like the rich have gone into the attic and pulled up the door, the trap door, and you can't get in because of the tax code and the regulation. And so I think it's a slow process, but uh, and how does that manifest itself when you talk to somebody? Where I live, if I talk to somebody, the food store, or somebody comes by to see me, or I get gas, I'm talking to somebody, they'll say things like, Victor, have you seen what's going on in the school? They're trying this transgender stuff with my kid, or they're making fun of the Catholic Church or they're letting kids tell, say that boys are girls and they're only 12 years old. Who's doing this? Why are you guys, and they always say, why are you doing this? And I always say, I'm not doing it. You're doing it. You're voting for a party that is doing it. And then they say, yeah, but why are we doing it? You know, and so this area's uh, elite are getting more and more and more and more left-wing, esoteric, eccentric, and they're divorcing themselves, even though they don't know it, from their constituencies. And I think at some magical point, it will be sort of like the Rio Grande Valley in Texas, where all of a sudden these Hispanic communities that were loyally democratic are starting to flip because they're, they're frontline dealing with illegal immigration. And remember, illegal immigration is not 85% from Mexico. It's from Venezuela, it's from Africa, it's from all over the world. And a lot of the people don't feel any ethnic affinity with the people coming across, so they're much more emboldened to criticize illegal immigration. Now, you, you said it needs to get worse. What does that look like? Do you have any I can tell you. Let's just go through a barometer of things. Let's say that you want to drive down I-5 from San Francisco to Los Angeles. So you drive over 152. It hasn't changed to get over there. It's still a two-lane road in parts. You get on I-5, it used to be two lanes each direction, modern. Now the entire right lane is full of semi-trucks. And they go into the left lane. So you're having slowdowns, not in L.A. area or San Francisco, but out in the middle of nowhere. And then the driver says to himself, well, wait a minute. There's 100 yards of empty land and right-of-way the state owns, but they're deliberately not adding a third lane because they're engaged in this unicorn called, chasing this unicorn called high-speed rail. But I have the highest gas taxes. Where is my third lane so I can drive? Or they'll, they say, my son is a straight-A student at Fresno Unified, but I just looked at his ACT, ACT scores, and they're pathetic. What did he learn? And they get angry, or they say, we used to want to go up, let's say you live in Selena, let's go up to San Francisco for the day, watch a Giants game, go to a fishing, and they go up there. And they say there's feces on the street, there's needles, there's people that attack you, the cars have signs in it, nothing in car, car on lock, please don't break window, with the windows down. And so the basics of life, and we talked about not being able to turn on the air conditioning or fill up, and remember, when you're driving, say, to Fresno, to San Francisco, you're filling up at 6.50 a gallon. So they think the basics don't work anymore. And then you add the aggravation that the people who did this will aggravate you with these social and cultural issues. And it's whammy, double whammy. Now, do you think 
there is a chance for these people to think this is normal now. Because sometimes people, when they get into a new situation, they just feel like this is how it is now. Or do you think they will question and say, it wasn't like this before, why is it like this now, and what did we do? I think that would, what you just said is applicable up to about 10 years ago because of the, the enormous wealth. Again, $7 trillion cuts a lot of criticism that trickles down throughout the state. And remember, that was welded on or fused on to a dynamic economy that had a very, very successful banking industry. It was a leading, leading agricultural state. It's the fifth state in terms still of oil production, natural gas, even with all the regulations. It had, it had a vibrant timber industry. It had a huge construction industry. So it, it had the fifth largest economy in the world. And so people said, no matter why you, how you do it to screw it up, it's just bothersome. It still works. They can't destroy it. It's got a lot of rot in it, to, to quote Adam Smith. And now I think, wow, they have done so much so quickly that they're starting to, you know, how do we pay for everybody to get $1,000 for gas just give away? How do we get all these COVID checks? Why aren't people in California working when they're making, maybe it's because they're making more money with California relief than the people who are working. Why are we paying for billboards in other states to encourage to come to California to have abortion? Why do we give 500 million for illegal aliens who broke the law for COVID? These questions start to come up when they see that the system is, is not working. And then you add in the other factor is that after 30 or 40 years, the middle and upper middle class is increasingly not quote unquote white. And they are starting to get hit at, at about 10, 11% at $70,000 a year. And so when they go up these rungs and they start to see 11, 12, 13%, and then a tax increase at Washington of 40, up to 40, and they start to do the math, I'm paying 53% of my salary. And then they think, well, wait a minute, I used to make very little. I didn't pay the taxes. I got a lot of social services. Now all those people that were in my present position have gone. They've left the state. And now I am taking their place. But I thought I would be exempt. I would never leave the state for what the reasons they left the state. But now I realize I have more in common with them than I do the people here. And so you start to see people who are Japanese, Chinese, Latino, Sikh, um, and they say, why don't these people work? Why are they taxing me so much? Why are they sucking me dry? And it's, it's, and so you saw that with this, the embarrassing hot mic with the Los Angeles City Council. It wasn't a white anymore. Yeah. The whites are irrelevant. It's 52% is Los Angeles. And what was that tribal conversation? Racist, the Jews, the blacks, the whites, the gays, the Oaxacans, all of these Latino elite. Remember, they were not just average Latinos. Gil Cedillo and De Leon and Martinez were all heralded as the future of California. These were the elite, the creme de la creme of the Latino ruling class. And here you heard it for an hour of just abject racism, tribal infighting over control of the city council. And 
it's changing. And so people are saying, uh, I'm no longer necessarily uh, a beneficiary of this huge uh, repertory state that is the most liberal as far as affirmative action and hiring and missions and social programs and rhetoric. All of a sudden, I'm a middle class and my kid is named Randy Lopez or Declan Martinez, doesn't speak Spanish. He's very well educated. And now he's got a target on his back because it's very hard for him to buy a house or to go anywhere. And, and this, this is a new phenomenon. And most of the people that I knew in my community are gone. They've left, they'll never come back. They've all left the small farming community. So you mentioned this area, if you're in the Bay Area, uh, do you think there's going to be a point that these people that are here, they're going to also change their, uh, change their thinking and say we were wrong? Because it seems like... No, they'll never say they were wrong, but they'll change their thinking. They will say that these people who did these terrible things of the state were apostates. They weren't the true liberal. They were deranged. They were extremists. They hijacked the liberal revolution. And uh, they'll never say they're conservative or traditionalist or that their way of thinking doesn't work. And uh, so they don't, very few will, will admit that they're responsible for this state by voting these people in. No, no, they, they're ideologues. So ideologues will always go all the entire trajectory to oblivion, claiming at the very last moment before everything just is destroyed that it's still working. So you'll, but they're not the people that will count. The people that will count are the independents, the residual Republicans, and the new people, immigrants. And the funny thing is, if you let in a lot of immigrants, and we're, it's starting to change now, you're starting to see people in this, with our new open borders from Venezuela and Cuba, and from India, and a lot of these people have seen socialism or quasi-socialism, and they're not necessarily going to be as loyal a constituent as, as people were from Mexico in the beginning. It's a very volatile situation, so I'm, I don't think anybody knows what's going to happen to California, but we're getting to the point in conclusion where um, the state as we knew it doesn't work. And uh, I, I talk to people and I participate in a community that I would never go to the emergency room of my local hospital. I've done it before. You won't get service. It's just incredibly crowded and, and it's just chaos. There's gang members there from shooting and you can have the nicest hospital in the nation at Stanford University Medical Center, but if you were to use some of its public facilities like an emergency room, it's, it's just, it's not like it was 30 years ago. And the elite or the upper middle class know that. And they're starting to get very worried. They're starting to get very worried. It's not, it's not even safe in some places in the Silicon Valley area. And people are starting to see that. And it doesn't work. I mean, right over here on El Camino Real, there's buses parked bumper to bumper of poor people who drive in and they rent out a seat to sleep on and you have these poor people are going in cleaning up every evening at Google or Apple and they can't afford it and then they, they go back to the bus or the camper to, to sleep and then they drive home 150 miles for the weekend.
so it's a it's a feudal system. It really is. California is a feudal system. Peasants and landlords and the keep. And I don't think it's stable as all feudal system is. But it's going to take a little bit. It's going to take some leaders that put all this together. We haven't seen those yet. Larry Elder's campaign was at the last moment, haphazard, poorly funded, although he had a lot of insightful critiques of what was wrong. But when you start looking at certain people, like a Joel Kotkin for some, a, a Democrat who's, who's looking at this, it's very analytical. Or this Schellenberger, these people are not right-wing, they're not conservative. They're just saying our, our side screwed up things and it doesn't work and, the, and they screwed it up because they're selfish and elite and they represent you know that that another constituency that has had it and so I, I think in the next 10 years we're probably going to see a radical change in politics but it, it, it's just going to be a question if it's going to be in time you mentioned in time what does that mean time for is it going to you, you think there's a time limit for California to get, if we don't make the change within a certain time, we may? Well, the people think that San Francisco is always going to be San Francisco. Los Angeles is always going to be San Los Angeles. Fresno is always going to be Fresno. It's not. There's nothing in history that says that. In fact, if you came in a time machine from 1988 and you came back to San Francisco, you wouldn't recognize it today. You just wouldn't recognize downtown San Francisco. Or if you were driving a car in 1995 in Los Angeles and you came back, you'd be astounded what you see in Los Angeles today. And so it's already at a point where it doesn't work. And if you go to Los Angeles today and there's a commuter lane that says you have to have two people, half the people are, are just one person. Nobody's enforcing the law. If you go downtown, there's people sleeping and defecating. If you go to Beverly Hills downtown, there's robberies, smash and grab, carjackings. So it's, it's not working. And as I said, there's a lot of fat, a lot of ruin in the society, but I don't think this will continue at the present rate. It either has to slow down and give us another 20 years or it's gonna implode. And already you start to walk in San Francisco and there's empty stores and its retail commercial market is crash as far as business trying to you know, rent retail space. Nobody wants to go there. Walmart, uh, Rite Aid, Walgreens are closing in downtown San Francisco. They can't operate. And um, when people are leaving like they are today in mass and the state is so regular, regulated that they won't allow people to build homes, um, it, it's not working. One of the things that's weird, you have to look at little indicators. One is these uh, additional family units, ADUs or whatever they call them, that you can yeah, now all of a sudden put in your, you back put in your, your backyard. They used to think this was horrible, and each county tried to stop the state. State passed a law that said you could do it. Then all of the wealthy counties said, not in our county, and they added on restrictions. Many of them are being thrown out by the court. But you can see what it means is that we got our way, we zoned this community so you'd never have any more people coming in and disturbing us. We have 280 from Palo Alto to South San Francisco and it's pristine. Nobody's ever going to build there. But then they kept letting people in, very poor people. And so now you can make a little tiny house or buy it and have it come in with a crane and drop it in your backyard. And that's the way they're getting around it. So there's, there's 
it, the system is, what I'm trying to say is it doesn't work on its own premises. Where I live, it's the most regulated. If I want to put a solar panel like I did on my barn, I have to go through two years of regulations. And that people come out and they lecture you. And this, you're six inches there and you need to get this plan. And where's your environmental statement? And then I say, look, across the road, there's 52 people, it seems to me, living in seven Winnebago's around a little house with no septic service, no electricity, all from Mexico. And why don't you go regulate that? Because every violation imaginable is on that parcel. And they say to me, off the record, well, why would I do that? It would be dangerous. The people would call me a racist. There'd be no money involved for the state. <laughs> and nobody cares. So it's a, it, we're the freest and the most unfree state in the Union. In certain areas, it's so overwhelmed, you can do anything. There's no police, there's no regulation. <laughs> but along the coastal strip, it's the most regulated. And that's what's so schizophrenic. And unfortunately, I live in the freest, most unregulated. And then I drive to the most regulated and unfree. And it's almost a schizophrenic experience. So Essentially, what you're saying is the people that are following the rules um, are punished. Yes. And the people that are not following the rules get away with it. Because the people who follow the rules and are punished don't say anything. And the people who don't follow the rules and un are not punished have advocates that have created entire careers out of self-appointed advocacy of those people. So everybody doesn't say a word. But if you keep punishing people, who don't throw trash on the street, who don't inject drugs on the street, who mow their lawn, who fix their home up, who pay their taxes on time, who don't run the red light, who don't carjack, who don't smash and grab, who don't shoplift, uh, and you keep punishing them and demonizing them, they do one of two things. They, for now, they leave or they psychologically drop out. They just don't participate. That can be from the mundane to the elemental. I mean, they don't, I mean, the mundane is they don't go to a football game, they don't go to a baseball game, they don't follow the Super Bowl anymore, they don't go to a Hollywood movie, they don't watch NBC, ABC, CBS Network News, they don't read the New York Times. They've just gone into an, their shell and they don't go to San Francisco with a family and stuff. But eventually, if you keep doing that to them, and they don't leave, then they're going to get angry. And that might result in political change. You can see it when we had the uh, repeal of 2009, the racial ballot on the Constitution. It failed. The left thought that they could put it in and say that you could be discriminatory. Not that it mattered, because even though it's a state law, constitutional law, that 209 says you cannot discriminate. When they tried to, and they do anyway, they find a ways around it, but they were going to formally announce that they could discriminate. The people weren't for it. And so every once in a while you see these ballot propositions where there's not personalities that this $7 trillion monstrosity can't target as easily, like making fun of them, you know, or Arnold Schwarzenegger has a private jet, or Larry Elder is really a white person. <laughs> but just a just a position, they don't do as well. Now, do you have any thoughts for our viewers who are Californians who might be concerned about what's going on with, the Calif with California? Can they do anything about this? Well, they can leave or they can drop out 
and they can carve up their own existence. I mean, they can go to a place where housing is affordable, get a pool, get a hot tub, build a wall around their house, and navigate very carefully when they drive and stuff. But for most people, they've got to vote and they've got to get more active and they've got to shed their political allegiance and just look at the world the way it is rather than the way they're told or the way they were brought up or the way they were acculturated and just ask a series of questions. Does the freeway system work? Can I afford gas? Can I afford electricity? Is it safe to go to our major cities? Are my children being schooled? Is there less crime? Has this tribal diversity industry led to harmony and unity and ecumenicalism? or has it led to something like the LA City Council rants? And I think if they ask themselves, I think they will, they'll decide that they are liberated to vote in the way that they feel best. They're not shackled by the left or the Democratic Party. Victor Davis Hansen, scholar with Hoover Institute, it was great to have you on California. Thank you for having me.